Thank y'all so much, Gloryland, for that this morning. I appreciate the beauty of that song. This morning we're going to hear about that. There's only one reason that I'll have a home there, because Jesus died for me. We're going to see that as we look at our first parable. If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. I did want to ask, I know sometimes here, being Southerners, that we are not the best at enunciating things, and clearly speaking sometimes, I want to ask that whenever your friends at work over the next few weeks ask you, well, what have y'all been, what's your preacher been preaching about? I ask that you, you speak clearly and say parables, because if not, it's going to sound like you're saying, well, his, his preaching's been parable. It's just been, it's been been parable and parable for weeks now, so clearly par- parables, parables. Matthew chapter 9, we will see the first of several parables that we're going to be looking at. Uh, parables, as Brother Shane mentioned earlier, very basic definition that we're looking at. It's Jesus using something that we do understand to explain to us something that we don't understand. That's exactly what we're looking at with these. He's going to do that several times, and he was absolutely the best teacher that's ever lived. And I think if you didn't already know that just because we know it, that you'll see it as we look at many of his teachings here. So look with me in Matthew 9. I'm going to begin by reading verse 14 for us this morning. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, speaking about Jesus, saying... Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So here we see kind of our introduction, what what the beginning topic here is, how we're going to get into the text. We're, We're beginning with a question that is posed to Jesus. These are the disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist is in prison. His disciples that have followed him and been mentored by him go to Jesus and they ask a very specific question here. They're saying, we fast and the Pharisees fast, but they had noticed that Jesus' disciples, the men that walked with Jesus, didn't fast. Now, it doesn't seem like that strange of a thing to us. It would have to them because in the Old Testament, it was prescribed that the people had to fast on certain days at certain times. The Jewish people, this was a requirement by the law. This is something that they all did that they would have all done every year since they were children. Their whole life they would have fasted. So whenever they see somebody being a religious person, a disciple of Jesus, not fasting, that would stand out to them. And they ask the question, why is it that your disciples don't fast like the rest of us do? Now, a quick word about fasting. If you're not familiar with it, what is fasting? We're talking about the basic idea of abstaining from something... For a set period of time in order to spend more time with God. Usually the most traditional thing would be to abstain from food. That's what they're talking about here. So for a certain period of time, they would not eat. And so the time that they would usually spend preparing meals and sitting down and eating a meal and all that, they would spend that much extra time in prayer or in reading the scriptures and spending time with God. So at its core, Fasting is abstaining from something to spend more time with God. That's what they're saying. They're saying, why do we do that, but your disciples don't do that? And Jesus gives an answer in verse 15. It says, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? 
The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, it doesn't really sound like a clear answer that Jesus gives here in verse 15. This is a very, very clear and very good answer. This is not a parable. This is just an illustration that Jesus uses here. And he gives the illustration. He says, I want y'all to imagine somebody that's getting married. I think most of us know somebody, a man or woman, that have gotten married before we've had a friend, a best friend that got married, or you've had a roommate that got married, or some of you have had children or grandchildren that have gotten married. And, and Jesus talks, gives them this idea of that person that you love, that best friend, that child, that roommate that you spend a lot of time with, that you hang out with, that when they get married, we know what's going to happen. They're going to get married, and they're going to move in with their spouse, and they're going to spend more time with their spouse, and consequently, they're going to spend less time with who? With us, right? That's how that works. And so that's sad. That is a sad thing. We've, most of us have experienced this, and it is a sad thing. And so Jesus gives them this illustration, but he says, before the wedding, do they sit around sad that they're spending less time with their friend while they're still with their friend? If you are a parent and one of your children have gotten married for the month or two leading up to the wedding while they were still at home, while you were still sitting at the dinner table with them, while you were still uh, going to church and sitting on the pew beside them, while you were still doing all these things, did you sit there sad because they were going to get married or did you enjoy the time that you had with them. For those of you that have had a best friend or a roommate that got married, when you're with them at the bachelor party or at the bachelorette party, uh, going to eat and doing all these things, did you spend that whole night mourning or did you celebrate and enjoy being with them while you were with them? Jesus says here, you don't mourn while the groom is still with you. And what he's trying to explain to them, he's giving them a picture of why the disciples don't fast. And why don't the disciples fast? What he's telling them is, you fast in order to spend more time with God, but these disciples are with God every day. Right, we understand that Jesus himself is God. The reason the disciples didn't fast, the reason they didn't abstain from food to spend more time with God is because when they were eating food, they were eating food with God. Right, they, Everything they did, they were doing it with God. Jesus is telling John's disciples here a couple of things. One, he's telling them that he's God, but I don't think that's anything new or groundbreaking to John's disciples. John the Baptist would have taught this to his disciples. He would have explained this to them. They knew that Jesus was God. So what else was it that Jesus was pointing out to them or teaching them here? Point one this morning, Jesus' coming changed a lot of things. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. His coming changed a lot of things that we see, that we realize because we've had time to digest. But they were in the moment. They were living while Jesus was here. They had grown up their whole life being taught only the Old Testament teachings because that's all they had at the time. So Coming to age as adults, all they knew were the Old Testament scriptures. And now all of a sudden God is here and God is on earth. And they're living in this transition period. And Jesus is telling them here that because he has come, 
that they're going to have to reevaluate the way that they do things. That a lot of things are going to have changed. And one of them being here, the fact that you don't have to fast to spend time with God when you're in the presence of Almighty God. He tells them that. And he's not just telling them that he's God because they already know that he's God. But he's telling them that things are different. That they need to reevaluate the way that they've always done things. He continues, though. It seems like the teaching might would end there. They ask a question. Jesus gives a very good answer to the question. He explains to them why they don't fast. He makes an even uh, further reaching point than that, that they need to reevaluate the way they do things because God is here on earth. But then he continues. And then we see here our two parables. If you would, look in verses 16 and 17. It says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now, these are a couple of the parables that we will see that don't just jump out at you what they're trying to teach. I don't want to spend a lot of time, I don't want us to get bogged down in, in explaining these parables very briefly. What's he saying? He's saying, if you have uh, some blue jeans, any of y'all, anybody have a pair of blue jeans? Yes. It's amazing that only eight of y'all have a pair of blue jeans. That's surprising. But if you have blue jeans, if you get a new shirt, if you get uh, especially cotton clothes and you wash them, especially if you wash them in hot water and then dry them hot, what happens to the cloth? It shrinks, Right. And so he says, if you have a garment that you've had for years and it's gotten older and it has already shrunk as much as it's going to shrink and it has a hole and you put a new piece of cloth patching up that hole that hasn't shrunk and then you wash it so the patch shrinks and the jacket stays the same, what's going to happen? It's going to rip and make an even bigger hole. Same way in their day and time when they were making wine, they would put it in animal skins. And so when you're making wine, it gives off gas, and it it needs room to expand. Well, new animal skins are kind of like our skin. They're flexible. They're elastic. So if you put some new wine and a new animal skin, that's great. It expands when it needs to expand, and it contracts when it needs to contract, and everything's fine. But he said if you put new wine and an old, brittle wine skin, what's going to happen? It's going to need to expand, and it's going to burst. Now, the overarching principle, and this is what I want you to remember more than I want you to remember wineskins and patches and all this. What I really want you to see here is that Jesus is explaining to them that they can't take the new of Jesus and hope to just patch it into the old covenant that they've always known. They can't take the new that has come when God left heaven and came to earth and expect that they can just do things the same way that they've always done them with nothing changed and just kind of add Jesus into it. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to do what was familiar. They wanted to stick with their their old rituals and their old teachings and they wanted to keep doing that and just kind of plug Jesus in and let everything be merry. But Jesus says here very clearly... That he's like a new patch that they're trying to put on an old coat. That he's new wine that they're trying to put in an old skin. And if they do it, it's going to be a mess. And things aren't going to work the, thing, the way that they need to. He was giving a specific teaching, I believe. A specific reference to the old covenant and the new covenant. 
something we understand much better than they did. Again, they were living in this time that these things were really being explained the most clearly to the people. What do I mean when I talk about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? And here's where I really want to make sure that you hear this, because if you, if you don't remember the wineskin and the patch, that's okay. If you don't go home and fast this week, that's going to be okay. But if you miss this, you're really going to miss the point of this text. The Old Covenant, what I mean when I say that, I'm talking about the covenant that God made with the people of Israel that had stood for all of the time until Jesus came. It was the, the relationship that God had with Israel, the, the contract that he had entered into with them way back at Mount Sinai when Moses was leading, but that had stood all of this time. In Exodus chapter 19, I want to read you a couple of verses when they're entering into this covenant. Verse 5, it says, Now therefore, God speaking, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That's what God told to Moses. And the people agree, and they enter into this contract, into this covenant with God, that they are going to be his special people, and that he's going to bless them, and that he's going to be with them, and that he's going to protect them, and all of these things that we know. But one thing that I want to make sure that you didn't miss there in verse 5 is this was conditional. God says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. And so a lot of times when we talk about the old covenant, we talk about these legalistic ways of living. <clears throat> we talk about the people needing to do specific things in order to merit God's favor. God said, you do these things, and if you do these things, you'll be my special people. But if you don't follow my teachings... If you don't do the things that I've commanded you to do, then this covenant isn't going to stand. The people lived very legalistic lives. They looked at the law of Moses. They looked at the commands that God had given. And they said, I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this, so that God will bless me. And that's what I want you to know about the old covenant. That's the mindset. Of somebody living under the old covenant. The covenant that God made with the people of Israel before Jesus came. Here's their mindset. If I do the right things, then God will bless me. That's how they lived their whole lives. But there's a new covenant. And the new covenant was ushered in by Jesus Christ. It came, it was ushered in with his birth. It was really sealed with his death and resurrection. It's what we celebrate. And here's the new covenant. If I'm summing up the new covenant, here's the new covenant. It's that we have salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Right? It's not about if I do this and if I do this and if I do this, then God's going to forgive me and God's going to bless me. It is this. If I have faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then God is going to accept me and God is going to forgive me and God is going to make me His. It's not conditional on what I did today versus what I did yesterday or what I'll do tomorrow. It's completely set in one thing. Under the new covenant, God's blessings for us, being God's children, being forgiven, all comes from one thing, and that one thing is faith in Jesus Christ. When we have that, we are God's people. 
It doesn't come and go. It's not conditional after that point. Once we have faith, it's set. We are God's people. Point two, being saved by grace through faith means that our standing with God is secure and unchanging. And I want you to listen to that this morning. I want you to listen to that for you personally. The fact that you, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have faith in Him, then you are saved by, by grace through faith, and this is what that means. That means that your standing with God is secure. Nobody can take away your standing with God. The fact that you are forgiven, nobody can take that away. The fact that you are his child, that's not going to change based on what you do today or what you don't do tomorrow. Those things are set and they are secure and they are always going to be that way. If you've never understood that, please listen this morning. This is a fundamental truth for us as New Testament believers. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, For by grace... You have been saved through faith. There it is right there, the new covenant. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Once we accept him through faith, all of the things that we had done that displeased God are completely taken away. The sins that you did in the past, gone. The sins that you are committing right now, Gone. The sins that you will commit, gone. Taken care of, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. The guilt and punishment for them, completely taken by Jesus Christ. They're not coming back again. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. They're not going to be on your record ever. We're completely forgiven because of what we did, because of how good we are. We're completely forgiven if we come to church regularly. We're completely forgiven if we tithe. Is that what we're saying? No. We're completely forgiven not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Why am I talking about that this morning? Why am I going on and on about this? Because this is the fundamental difference that we're really seeing here. These men, these, these disciples of John the Baptist, they want to know why these disciples that are living under the new covenant, that are in the presence of God, that are followers of Jesus, they're wanting to know, why don't they fast? And Jesus says, guys, what you don't understand is everything is different now. Everything has changed. And of course, we read this and we want to really harp on John's disciples. We say, how could they not see that? How could they not know any better? But I want you to know this morning that many of us sitting here today still try and mix the new of God's grace with the Old Testament of legalism. And some of y'all thought right then, yep, so-and-so does that. Yep, I've heard so-and-so do that. I want you to know this morning that you do that and sometimes I do this. We all are guilty of this. You see, the difference is, if I had to put it in one sentence, the difference is... They did what they did. They followed God's commands. I know this isn't one sentence anymore. They did what they did in order that God would bless them. We do what we do because God has already blessed us. 
You see that? They did it. They said, I better do this and this so that I will know that God loves me. But you and I, we do these things because we know that God loves us. He's not going to love us more when we do them. But sometimes we still live that way. How many of you this morning here have ever done any of these things before? You thought that you were in better standing with God than so-and-so because you come to Sunday school every week and they only come about once a month, if that much. You thought that you were in better standing with God because of that. You thought that you were a better Christian than most people because you've heard that only about 10% of a church tithes, and you know that you tithe, and so you think you're a better Christian than the other 90% who don't tithe. Some of us have been there. We've done that. You know that only a small percentage of Christians serve on committees, and you're on two or three, and so you feel that you are a better Christian than all those people that don't serve on committees at the church. What about personally? How many of you have ever thought that God was less happy with you today because you didn't make time to read your Bible before work this morning? You try to do that every day, and on this day you didn't make time, and you get to work, and you feel guilty, and you say, God probably, God isn't as happy with me. God isn't as pleased with me. God doesn't love me as much today because I didn't read my Bible before I came to work. Sometimes we do something good and we feel like God's going to be more happy with me. He's probably going to bless me more because I helped that neighbor, because I went on that mission trip, because I gave that much to Lottie Moon. If you've ever done any of those things, you're in the same boat as John's disciples. You're trying to take the new covenant grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and marry it with this Old Testament teaching of God loves me because of what I do. And Jesus says, that's not how things work. We don't put those two together. Point three, the last point. As a Christian, our standing before God isn't perpetually changing, but is eternally secure. Those of you that are astute will know that that's just point two. I just worded it a different way. I wanted to make sure that you didn't miss that this morning. Our standing before God isn't perpetually changing. It's not he's happy with me today and he's not happy with me tomorrow. It's not he's happy with me right now because I'm sitting here and I'm even listening to Brother Zach. But this afternoon he's not going to be happy with me because I'm going to watch the saints and not come to church. Don't do that. <clears throat> but listen to this. Jokes aside, even if you make that decision and you're a Christian... God will not be less happy with you this afternoon than he is right now this morning. God is no more pleased with you on the day that you come early and greet people at the front door and answer all the questions in Sunday school class and give an extra $50 above your tithe and raise your hand while we're worshiping. When you do that, he's no more pleased with you than on the night that you lay down in the bed Feeling bad because you yelled at your kids as you're trying to get them ready for sleep. He's no more pleased with you or displeased with you at one point or the other. Why? How? Because he's only pleased with you because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that never changes. It doesn't go away. That's the only reason he's happy with me. Not because I preach on Sunday mornings. Not because I try to be a good dad. That doesn't make God happy with me. 
I can't do enough to make God happy with me. The only reason that he's ever happy, that he's ever pleased, that he's ever forgiven me is because of Jesus Christ's blood and my faith in him. And that never changes. It never goes away. So don't start thinking Old Testament legalism. If I do this, God will love me. If I do this, God will be happy with me. If I do this, then he's probably going to give me something extra. No, think this. The only reason God's happy with me is because of what Jesus Christ did. That's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. That's what we have. Jesus said, John, John's disciples, listen, you can't put these two together. Oh, things are so much different than you understand. And this morning I say the same to you, brothers and sisters. We can't put these two together. Don't say, I'm saved by grace. And God loves me more whenever I have my morning devotion. Don't say that. We don't have a morning devotion. We don't go to church. We don't give a tithe so that God will bless us. We do those things because God has already blessed us. We don't do those things so that he will love us. We do those things because he already loves us. And he's deserving of us to do those things. So we do them joyfully, not legalistically. This morning, if this is the first time that you've ever understood this, that doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just may mean that this is the first time that you've heard it this way. But I pray this morning, if you know that you're a Christian and you've heard this and understand God's grace for the first time, and understand that whenever preachers say that you don't have to feel guilty, that for the first time you truly understand that God doesn't want you daily walking around feeling guilty. He wants you rejoicing in the forgiveness that you perpetually have in Jesus Christ. If you're understanding that for the first time as a Christian, I pray that you're excited this morning. Because this is good news. This is exciting. And I pray that you are more desiring to worship God with your whole life. But if you're here and you've never come to Christ, you've never come for salvation because you've never understood why you needed it. I pray today that as you hear this message and you think about how often you slip back into old habits and how often you do the wrong thing, you for the first time understand that you truly need God's grace because you won't ever get where you need to be by doing the right thing enough. If that's you, then that's made available to you. Christ has died on a cross and resurrected himself so that he could overcome the power of death, so that when you came today and wanted to him to be your Lord and Savior, that he would be. Come and let me talk to you about that. Let me help explain that to you. If you have other questions this morning, I would love to answer those. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. And if you want to come and pray at these altars, if you want me to pray with you, I would love that opportunity. If you simply want to sing because you're excited about the message that you've heard, I pray that you would. This is parable teaching, guys. Parable, parable teaching. But God is good, and we bask in his grace this morning. I'm going to ask you to do whatever the Lord leads you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation. Yeah.
If you would be seated for a moment, you know, another good thing about grace, uh, salvation by grace alone through faith alone is that means that you can't only, uh, that you don't have to come during this time of invitation to be saved. It means that through faith that you can come to Christ at any point on any day. If you ever have questions about that, I pray that you would let me know. You don't have to wait till Sunday to walk down this aisle in order to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Several announcements. Some of these are in the bulletin, so I won't go into detail on those. Um, youth camp deposits are due January 27th. Please make note of that. Children's camp deposits are due today, though. Uh, both of those are $50, but if you would like, if you'd like for your child, uh, second grade through sixth grade, to go to children's camp this summer, those deposits are due today. If you have questions about that, you can see Lee, and she will answer those for you.